It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon, and remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it, and don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. Good night, Hulkamaniacs and Jabroni Marks. Without a life that don't know, it'll work when you work a work and work yourself into a shoot. Marks, it's been ten years since that infamous tweet has been tweeted to the world. Why did he tweet that? I have no idea. I, this was just right around Balfour Glory, I believe. Oh, was it? Did we do I this on air? I don't know. This was a, this was the same year with the whole Bobby Roode thing? Because was that... Ten, it, this it, ten years ago was 2011. That was Bobby Roode. Yes. Ah, uh, okay. Maybe he had something to do with that. What exactly was he working? I have no idea. <laughs> I just I, looked at the tweet. I mean, was he working the same people when he said that he was uh, being called up to be the replacement uh, to Cliff Burton for Metallica? When he said that he was uh, getting drunk with John Belushi four years after he had passed away? It's, uh, the, the lies, like the things that come out of this guy's mouth. Y- yeah, you would think it would be all the somas and, and steroids that he had been pumping into himself, brother. Brother. Brother, brother. Well, pretty big week. I guess you could say. In a way. No, in a way. Not, not, a, not a huge week, but, you know, we had a new trailer drop for uh, The Batman, which I think got released over, I believe, the New York Comic Con. Or, I don't know, it just got released over this past weekend. Yeah, Comic Con was the previous weekend. Yeah, that was, that was, I think that was a week before, yeah. I don't know how to feel about it. I mean, it wasn't a bad trailer. It's just that... I don't think many people have still gotten over or have moved on from the Nolan trilogy since those films are still fairly recent and they've aged pretty damn well. I mean, Dark Knight came out 2008. Wow, that was almost 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think that film is fantastic. Uh, the Dark Knight Rises is fine. But overall, it's just, I just think the whole, but the, the, the Nolan Batman trilogy has aged very well. And honestly, I'd be okay if they didn't make a Batman movie for like the next 30 years. Really? That long? Alright, 20. Still that long? You, like, you're ready for a new Batman movie? Uh, I mean, I, I would be ready prior to 20 years after those movies. I mean, come on. Like, in the end, with, with how we are today with the whole comic book movies and how we gotta release one for all these superheroes... The ones that are the most prominent are Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, uh, those like. You can't go that long without making a Batman film, right? Before uh, Batman and Robin, I mean, it took them, what, uh, about eight years before they made another one? Uh, 98, 2005, yeah. Yeah, they're never going to go that long without making a Batman film. Hell, when Dark Knight Rises was finished, what was it, like four years, five years later, they did uh, Batman versus Superman? Yeah. Yeah, so they, they're not going to go that long without a Batman film. And, and quite frankly, I had always thought that they were going to do some sort of spinoff with Robin taking over, but they never did. Well, and I think... That's become more, almost more like a television project. I know they got that show Titans on HBO Max, and Robin's on there. I, I think he's Nightwing on that show too. I don't know. I, I don't watch the show, so someone someone could fill me in on that. But I know Robin's over there. Right, but was that a continuation of the story that Nolan had started? Oh no, I think that's that's their own thing. That's that's what I'm talking about. I thought they were going to do something following up. Dark Knight Rises with Robin taking over and bringing in more of the villains that Nolan did not get the chance to bring in because he never brought in Riddler, um, which was travesty in my opinion because he lost the perfect opportunity to really put Riddler into that universe and to think that he was able to conceivably think of a way to bring in Ra's al Ghul 
and he was able to conceivably bring in a way or have a way to bring in Bane, you can bring those people in, but you can't bring in the Riddler in any well, logical sense. Well, his interpretation of Bane was very different from the Bane that, you know, that we grew up with, at least the ones from the cartoons. He wasn't like Baney Bane, but he was more like, he was just like almost like a mercenary Bane. Right, but that, that further proves my point. Like, you can come up with ways to make Riddler realistic. I mean, Ra's al Ghul was completely different than his comic book counterpart. He was a dude who trained Batman, who was a sword-fighting uh, warrior who uses other decoys as his uh, get-up to how he's able to live for so long, quote-unquote, because the real Ra's al Ghul, Ra's al Ghul, he's supposed to be like 400 years old because he's able to rejuvenate himself. So you came up with a way to interpret Bane in this universe, but not Riddler. And you, you, they never got to use Penguin, another villain that they never had a chance to do. Um, there's also the ventriloquist could have used him at some point with Scarface, the little puppet that he has carrying around. Do you um, see that? Do you see someone like maybe Scarface or even like Poison Ivy working in like the Nolan world? So this was the idea that I had come up with. This was when I was like really super into Nolan's trilogy. And I had come up with my own story of how I would continue Nolan's uh, trilogy of the Dark Knight. So Robin's first main two villains, because every Batman film in those trilogies had two villains. Batman Begins, you had Ra's al Ghul and Scarecrow. And uh, Dark Knight, you had Joker and Two-Face. And in The Dark Knight Rises, you had Bane and Talia al Ghul. So I figured the two vi main villains in this one, th this was just my interpretation, fandom, little fanfic or whatever they call it, uh, the Riddler and Poison Ivy. And I figured... The way the Riddler would be more realistic is that he's just more of a, an idealist who just takes everybody's ideals and flips them and makes you question them. Kind of like how Marilyn Manson did back in his day. And with Poison Ivy, she's not exactly like a plant per se, but she uses plants and poison and her sexuality to be able to lure her victims to poison them and kill them. Kind of, kind of like that, because I remember seeing somebody, I think it was... Uh, Big Speed or something like that on YouTube where they did their own fan films. And they basically interpreted Poison Ivy as somebody who used some sort of uh, poison on her lips so that when she kisses her victims, they obviously start choking, can't breathe, and die. Kind of similar to that. I mean, you can easily do something if you gotta, like, tweak it a little bit, since that was Nolan's thing. So what did you think of this new trailer? The Batman, directed by Matt Reeves. Uh, he did the Planet of the Apes films. I don't think he did all of them. I know he did the last one, The War, which I thought was excellent. He did Cloverfield. Uh, I know he did another movie. I'm not. I can't think of right now. But but he's gonna take on the challenge, trying to do um, I guess a Nolan style Batman film. So um, I like the other trailer better. This one didn't really explain much, other than yeah, the Riddler's in it. You saw the question mark and all that stuff. Um. As far as I know, the main villains in this film are supposed to be Penguin, Riddler, and Falcone. Yeah, Falcone was in Batman Begins as well. And uh, Victor Zaz and uh, all that stuff. But I mean, I was already hyped for the film because Riddler was going to be in it. But this didn't really hype it up anymore. It didn't, like, get me any more invested. It's just a trailer just to let us know, hey, this film is coming out. I think it was supposed to come out much earlier than it actually did but because of the pandemic and during shooting uh, Robert Pattinson had gotten COVID they had to halt filming for quite a bit so I think it's a March 4th is when this movie comes out yep yeah so I'll probably go see this in theaters with the wife because uh, I've seen the Dark Knight trilogy all three of them in theaters might as well do it for this one because they're finally going to do the Riddler and Penguin on the big screen. And I'll have to see because Colin Farrell is going to be the one to play the Penguin and that's kind of strange. Colin Farrell of all people to play Penguin. But we'll see. I, I, I had that same reservation when Heath Ledger played Joker and thought, I mean, obviously Heath Ledger just basically uh, hit the ball out of the... Literally, as CM Punk said, he hit the ball 
ran, caught it himself, came back and shoved the ball down my throat. That's how good of a role he did. And then Tom already proved me wrong in his interpretation of Bane because I thought he was going to suck too, but he too proved me wrong. Well, I will say Robert Pattinson wasn't my first choice when it came to playing Bruce Wayne or Batman. I don't know if he was anyone's first choice, but you know what? We're going to see how everyone does. I'll keep an open mind. I'm going to check out this film. Have you seen any of the Zack Snyder uh, movies? Like like, uh, Batman v Superman or the Justice League? I have not seen any of those two movies only because I am fearful to see those movies. I've already heard what happens in Batman vs. Superman. Uh, I know that Jesse Eisenberg, for whatever reason, interpreted Lex Luthor as like Heath Ledger's Joker for some odd reason. And the way that Batman and Superman stop fighting is like fucking ridiculous. Their mother has like the same name or some dumb nonsense. So I'm really fearful to watch it. Martha. <laughs> uh, exactly. Um, same reason why I'm fearful to watch Suicide Squad. Because when I saw Jared Leto's version of the Joker on the trailer, I was just like, what? Like, I Jared Leto did absolutely zero for me. It was, it was a constant reminder where I said to myself, he should stick to being the lead singer to 30 Seconds to Mars. Because him being the Joker, no, nah, it doesn't work. Especially with the grills and all that, like, come on. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like his performance in either that or the uh, Justice League, uh, the Snyder Cut either. Yeah, it was just it was just a miscast. I mean, I'm nothing against Leto as an actor, but it was just a miscasting there. So uh, that is the Batman. Let's see, that's the second trailer. I'm pretty sure they're gonna tr- probably drop at least one more in the upcoming future, probably around January or the New Year. Just get people more hyped and remind them, hey, we got another Batman coming out. For those that don't know, this has no. This is a brand new, I guess, universe you could say with the Batman character. This has nothing to do with the Justice League or whatever Zack Snyder's universe. This is a DC, I guess it's its own film. Whether it's going to start another universe, who the fuck knows? This DC universe is confusing anyway. Yeah, it's constantly revising its own story. But it's the same story, almost, tick for tack. Yeah. Um, I remember you brought this up to me that um, you were going to check out the Brittany Murphy documentary they just recently dropped on HBO Max. Titled "What Happened, Brittany Murphy." It was just basically went over her, uh, uh, the death of you know of Brittany Murphy. She passed away in to, uh, December 2009. I think just not too long, not too far apart from Michael Jackson, I believe. Yeah, Michael Jackson died in June. That was 2009. June, like, yeah, 2009 was like the year of deaths. You had Natasha Richardson who died like in March due to a skiing accident. Um, I'm not sure if Patrick Swayze died that year or if he died the following year due to his cancer. Uh, you had uh, Billy Mays, the infomercial salesman. Yeah, uh, you, that was shocking. Yeah, you had uh, Farrah Fawcett who also died the same day as Michael Jackson, so her death was like not even close. To oh yeah, her time, her death timing was just horrible. Um, like, no- Ed, yeah, Ed McMahon passed away that year. Um, this is for more of the wrestling geeks out there, but uh, Mitsuharu Masawa died in the ring due to a routine back suplex. So like, 2009 was a pretty fucked up year when it came to deaths. Um, so yeah. Now as far as Brittany Murphy, uh, I remember hearing about her death and I just said to myself, wow, fucking 32 years old and she died and she was fucking Beautiful from her the start of her career till unfortunately her untimely passing. That woman was fucking beautiful. And it, when I found out that she died from pneumonia, it was just strange because you hear about people getting pneumonia a lot, but pneumonia is more deadly for much older people, like yeah. senior citizen, elderly people. That's when it's really deadly. But then. What really threw me off was that four or five months later, her husband died of almost the exact same thing. And I said to myself, it'd be one thing if they both died from pneumonia days apart. I can see that. I can even see if Brittany Murphy, God forbid, 
had committed suicide on December, and then five months later, her husband, distraught by the whole thing or feeling responsible, kills himself. That I can even see. It would be like a case closed scenario. It's still tragic, but it's like, okay, case closed, whatever. But the fact that they died of pneumonia five months apart, and they're both young, she was 32, he was 40, the time that they passed, that is what struck me as odd. Now, there were people who were saying that there was mold in the mansion that they had inhaled into their systems, which caused them to develop pneumonia. But it's like, okay, if they had developed pneumonia, why didn't they go to a doctor? Because they were young enough to go to a doctor and get that shit fixed. And on top of that, one of the toxicology report people in that documentary said they found no evidence of any mold in their system that would have caused them to have pneumonia. I'm a little bit distraught by the documentary because it doesn't really dive into the whole idea of why that's so weird. They were more focused on literally making Simon out to be this wretched human being that was super controlling over her and, and how he was just such a bad person. And it's like, it's one thing they were covering that before they got up to his death. But the fact that they, they bring up his death and bring up the, the irony of how he died and how close uh, in time frame that he died with Brittany Murphy, and then they just go right back to burying the guy. It was like, is nobody gonna like stop and like rewind and think, wait a minute. He didn't gain anything out of this whole ordeal of him trying to cash off of his wife's death because he died five months later, dude. Nothing was gained out of this. This, this to me, was just really bizarre, and they didn't really go that deep into it. The only part they went deep into was that, yeah, she was young and she died of pneumonia, and that was odd, but they didn't really dive deep into the fact that her husband died five months later. It's almost yeah. the same thing. Mind-boggling. But, I mean, otherwise, the documentary was pretty uh, compelling, but yeah, it's... I, I still don't understand why people aren't diving deep into that and why that happened. It's, yeah, it seems like no one really knows. It's not because no one really benefited from uh, Murphy's passing. She was only 32, by the way, because whatever jewelry, I guess the mother thought that uh, was left behind because she's thinking, whatever, you know, she, she's sitting on a fortune, not realizing all the jewelry they had was fake. Or it wasn't real diamonds, real whatever. It was just, it was just you know, fake-looking jewelry. And she was just stuck with whatever it was with the house, and that was really it. And she ended up uh, selling the house. She sold all the clothes. And I think they said as of now, the mother is just living a very quiet life uh, in California. Because yeah. the mother wasn't interviewed at all for this documentary, by the way, for those that don't know. Yeah, she was interviewed, although Simon's parents... No, no, I'm sorry. Simon's mother, mother and brother. Yeah. They were the ones that were interviewed. Um, they were now, interviewed. Uh, Simon's ex-wife was interviewed. I'm not seeing anything that they said wasn't true. I wasn't there for any of it. I didn't get to watch any of what her husband was doing after her death unfold until this documentary showed it to me. And his personality did seem a little odd. Like, he didn't want a toxicology report to find out what exactly happened. Though he had no control over that, they were going to do it anyways. I mean, come on, a 32-year-old woman just up and croaks. You kind of need to know what the fuck happened. That's really odd. And he didn't want a toxicology report. He starts posing with his mother-in-law like as if they're husband and wife. Which was weird, yes. Speaking for the mother, trying to cut her off at every chance, especially knowing for the fact that Brittany Murphy actually had a will that was going towards her mother when she died, which I don't know why she was able to file a will at the age of 32, but whatever. It's, the the story also shows the tragedy of how she kept trying to manipulate her looks so that she can get opportunities. And it's like, she was already beautiful as it is, but she was just a beautiful woman all around and to see someone like that die at such a young age is just, it's fucked up. It's the same reason that people would be upset when Kurt Cobain died, or when Amy Winehouse passed away, or when Biggie and Tupac died, or fucking Selena, or Aaliyah. These celebrities that are super freaking young and still had a career ahead of them. 
you, you don't you don't see the good side in all of that. But as I said, I, I was very disappointed in the doc not diving deep into how weird it was to have the husband and wife die months apart from almost the same thing. It's that is something I would have dug deeper into because come on. It's not even like the husband was 80, like when Anna Nicole Smith married that 95-year-old to get all this money. Um, But it's like, they were young in age, and they both died mysteriously from then, and apparently the house wasn't the reason they died from it. What, they just get pneumonia and just decided, oh, well, I ain't gonna get this treated. Like, really? That, is that really it? I'm not even saying, I'm not even saying it's a murder. Or a conspiracy of murder. What I'm saying, like, it's strange. That's, that's strange. Yeah, that should be looked into way more than it was. And unfortunately, this was ten years ago, so I, I don't know how much more evidence they have. If the evidence is still even there to to inspect. Really, all we have now is just theories. Yeah, and when she died of pneumonia at that point, I was kind of like. Hmm, that's odd, but not implausible. Once the husband died of almost the same thing, when I found out the husband died, I thought he killed himself out of distraught for the death of his wife. When I find out he died of pneumonia as well, it was like, what? I was like five months apart. How could he catch pneumonia? Then when the theory of mold in the house, okay, yeah, that's that could be the case, but then you run into the two problems. Why didn't they find it in their systems? And two, if he had pneumonia, why wasn't he getting taken care of? And they had moldy in the house. They should call in someone to get that taken care of. Well, did they know they had mold in the house? I don't know. It was weird. It's, yeah. Nothing about it makes any sense. It's, It's crazy. It's crazy to know that two people are dead at a young age due to pneumonia that nobody can explain how they got it or why they didn't get it treated. Yeah, but um, for anyone that wants to check it out, it's called What Happened Brittany Murphy. I believe it's on exclusively for HBO Max. I don't know if regular, the regular HBO channel is going to air it. I, I doubt it. But uh, for those, it's a two-parter. Each part's about, it's about an hour. With, you know, with the, your little issues, I still think it's a solid documentary. It kind of uh, goes over her uh, film career, uh, everything she had to go through. I mean, against another case where here's Brittany Murphy was a pretty girl, but Hollywood wanted her to be like a sex symbol. Yeah. It's, as, it's... as as it was quoted, I I I, I believe the director Amy Heckling from Clues. I think she quoted this. They said that she was huggable but not fuckable. Yeah, this was the late '90s when sex appeal was like really the big thing. I would and still it's, say it still happens today. It's I'm still pretty today, but in the 90s was super raunchy. I mean, when you had artists like Eminem and Marilyn Manson coming out there, spitting some of the shit that they were saying. Yeah, it was a very raunchy time. Good times. Ah, the 90s. But uh, before we continue to our main film discussion, you, well, you already know the drill. I gotta, We got to pay the bills. Patreon.com slash Just Chill Network. For one dollar, one dollar, you get full access to this episode along with other great past episodes. You can follow us on Instagram at Just Chillin Network, on Twitter at Just Chillin Net. Find us on Facebook at Just Chillin Network. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, Snapchat too, at Silent Poison. You can follow my pal here, Monoxide, on Instagram at Owen underscore Heart underscore Guy, and you can follow him on Twitter. At Monoxide YouTube. With that said, our Halloween marathon continues with Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. Came out 1982. It's over 90 minutes. It stars Tom Atkins, the great Tom Atkins, in the lead role here. As Dr. Daniel Chalice, this was direct, written and directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. He uh, designed the Michael Myers mask for the first film. So he's he, him and Carpenter are very good friends. They go way back, and it's now Wallace's turn to sit in the director's chair. And John Carpenter returns to do the score for this film. 
Let's talk about Halloween 3. No Michael Myers. This is an, uh, an entirely new story about a, uh, a maniac, uh, owner of Silver Shamrock, the CEO. He wants to corrupt kids. He wants to kill all the children on Halloween night. I, I think I, I hope you, did you like this movie? I know you told me going in, you were never really a big fan of Halloween 3. Yeah. And it had nothing to do with the fact that there was no Michael Myers, because the film itself is just, it's lame. And the, that was <laughs> talking about it years ago. And uh, I haven't seen it for a while. And I actually just watched it an hour before this recording. And that opinion isn't really changing much. Oh, no. This... There's some things that are okay about this film. The gore is very good. There's that one scene where one of the chips from the Silver Shamrock mask comes off in the hotel room with that older lady. And for whatever reason, she sees it. And part of it's like, oh, this scene was cool. But part of this scene was just like, what the fuck is this idiot doing? She sees the chip and she sees something in the back of it. Now, normally, a guy like myself would look at that and be like, huh, that's strange. But for whatever reason, she felt the need to poke at this with a damn, uh, her damn hairpiece. So she picks at it, and then all of a sudden, this laser hits her in the face. And and to be fair, the scene of her face after um, she gets hit with the laser is pretty fucking cool. Uh, when I saw this when I was younger, it was like, oh, shit, that's fucked up. Now, looking at him, I mean, you and I have seen so many of these horror films, it's just like, the, the gore is just whatever. But her face was all fucked up, and then a bug came out of her mouth. So it was, the scene itself was cool, but to get to it was just like, really? This is stupid. I did not really care for the robots in this film because they were so inconsistent. Like, for example, these robots apparently have these the superhuman strength to be able to rip limbs with their bare hands. But meanwhile, a human could just punch them in the stomach and, and destroy these robots in an instant. So it's like, are these robots superhuman or super bullshit? Super bullshit. Well, I guess their stomach is their their Achilles heel, their weakness. I guess, I guess the creator forgot to build a shield around their stomach, their abdominal area. So... This film starts off with a guy running away with no context whatsoever other than that he's got a mask in his hand. And he goes to this, um, he's being chased by these robots. You don't know the robots at this point yet. Um, but he's being chased by them. Because for whatever reason, he has a mask. He goes to a gas station and, and gets, uh, calls 911 and gets brought to the hospital. And that's where we meet our main character, the doctor who checks in on him and notices something strange about his behavior. And later in the night, he gets killed by one of the robots. How the robot killed him, I don't know. Something about, like, he, he crushed, crushed his skull or something? Yeah, I think Was he covered his mouth and his nose and then just used his other hand, just, like, put his fingers in his eyes and then just twisted his eyeballs? He so just twisted his face. He, he, he just pulled off a more gory stunt, uh, a gory version of a Three Stooges stunt. <laughs> Basically. Yeah, and then a woman caught him, this robot, uh, after wiping his hands on the, the the curtain, which was stupid as hell because, like, okay, you're leaving evidence, I guess? You're leaving the blood? But I guess it don't matter because he was going into the car to kill him himself or itself because he explodes and left no uh, ashes whatsoever that's a recurring theme throughout the movie when the doctor tries to figure out who this guy was and then we see this other character the female character the uh, what's her name yeah you got the doctor and then you got this female character that are gonna be yeah, the this female character was a daughter of that guy they just killed in on the bed the one that was running in the beginning her name was Ellie 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 and the doctor basically want to get to the bottom of what the hell is going on. So they go over to this town where the silver shamrock masks are being made. And for whatever reason, the people just look at them funny. Like as if they're outsiders or whatever. And so they rent out this hotel. And within 15, 20 minutes of the film, they're already making out. Like, they just met each other. 
And not only that, you, the audience member, within 20 minutes of watching this film, are already supposed to buy the idea that they're romantically involved. Like, why? Like, you couldn't build their relationship up a little bit more to, to get to the point when they start making out and start uh, wham, bam, thank you, mamming? Like, come on. It was so rushed. Which, by the um, way, there's, um, that actress was born in 1959. Tom Atkins was born in 1935. So there's almost a 25-year age gap there. Jesus Christ. And... and- <laughs> It's almost like that movie Water for Elephants where Reese Witherspoon is 10 years older than Robert Pattinson and they're making them a love couple. Yeah, Tom Atkins said, hold my beer. <laughs> That's nothing. Oh, wait a minute. What, what about, um, what's that show? The Jeffersons. Wasn't uh, Wheezy like 20 years older than George Jefferson in real life? I'm not sure. Yeah, I think Wheezy was like born in the 19-teens and uh, Sherman Hemsley was born in the 30s. It was like a 20-year gap between them, too. <laughs> yeah, and we're supposed to buy that these two are romantically involved. So wait, if she was born in 1959, that would have meant she was 23 for this film, and this dude was, like, in his 40s, which yeah. makes sense. <laughs> Tom Atkins! It was, it's the stash! Yeah, I guess. The Burt Reynolds mustache or whatever the fuck that thing is. Um. Anyway, so... The fuck else happened? So it's like nighttime. There's one part where he sees like a drunken fool who talks about um, what is his name? Uh, Connell Cochran. Is that his name? Main villain. Yeah, Connell Cochran. Yeah, that that CEO. Yeah. He's telling him "fuck you," like "fuck you" to the camera or whatever, and then the robots find him and rip his head off. And yeah, okay. There's there is a dictatorship in the small town. There's cameras everywhere. Uh, a lot of people, every time it seems to be outsiders, they all look out the window like, uh-oh. Mm-hmm. But they're not, but of course they can't say that in public because there's cameras everywhere. Or else you end up like that homeless guy. Should we talk about the jingle? Uh, yeah, I also wanted to mention, um, uh, you mentioned the lady who was messing with the chip. Uh, Tom Atkins' characters, he looked outside and he saw the robots. Oh, well, they're dressed as paramedics. We're taking her away. And there was like a dozen of them outside. And, like, then, and then that's when he first met the uh, Connell Cochran. Yeah, I think this is the first time he's actually seen on screen the actual character itself. But this jingle is what is infamous with this film. It's the one thing that people point to and remember. It's not the masks, because the commercial, they're selling three masks. A witch mask, a pumpkin, and a skull. But it's that jingle. You know, commercials, they try to create a jingle that sticks in your head so you always remember them. Like uh, 1877 Cars for Kids or uh, o- o- O'Reilly Auto Parts. Um, what's that stupid uh, baby shark, 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 whatever the fuck. That's what this song is. And they play it a lot throughout this film. I love they- the jingle. <sighs> it's, basically, it's basically London Bridge is falling down. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Happy, happy Halloween, Halloween. This is actually one of my favorite scores uh, Carpenter has ever done uh, in any of his films. I think he did a tremendous job with this, with the, doing the really? score for this film. Really? I know. I really like the score for this movie a lot. Yes, I love that jingle. My opinion. You, I, you seem like you didn't care for it. Not after the tenth or fifteenth time they played it throughout the whole movie. That's like, the idea. That is the power of advertisement. Yes, but the power billions of dollars in TV advertisement, and they sit there and use subliminal message to suck your children's minds out. That's exactly what they're doing in this movie. <laughs> yes, but as a viewer, I, I'm not the people in the movie. I'm a viewer trying to watch this film and be entertained, and I'm not entertained when the song just keeps playing over and over again, which just seems to be a running, occurring theme with these Halloween films. They just play the same music over and over again. And as far as the rest of the music is concerned, I couldn't name you another tune in this film. Like, the score itself is super forgettable. It's other than that jingle, the happy, happy, happy. Yeah, the jingles, of course, is what stands out the most. I thought the score was fine. I like the opening uh, credits. I, like shooting lasers. I didn't say it was bad. I just said it was forgettable. Yeah. It was super forgettable. But... I mean, it's not as it's not the first Halloween movie, not even close. 
you don't have to be, but I don't know. This this film was like, all right, I'll give you a, a theme that probably nobody knows about. The theme to The Shining, the miniseries, not the Jack Nicholson one. The main theme to that is probably a theme that most of you probably haven't even heard of. But if you actually listen to it, it's a very haunting theme. And it's very well done, in my opinion. I think the music to that is pretty good. That being said, this movie, the music in and of itself was just like, okay, um, I couldn't pick it out of a lineup. Like, literally, if you play the music to me without showing me the film and told me which film did this come out of, I probably wouldn't be able to tell you. This is how forgettable it is. But suffice it to say, where were we? Uh, we were up to the part where everybody's dying. Yeah, so the next morning, they go to meet this uh, uh, Connell Coughlin, and this other couple were there to meet him as well. I think the father was a salesman. He owns, like, a, uh, a store, and he sold the most masks in his region or, or the country or whatever. So he basically got a trip to meet the guy, and then they're taking a tour around the factory. They're seeing the mask being made, and I think the child, it was either him or his child, that asks, Ooh, I want to, I, I, I want to pick, I want to, you know, take this one home, me. And, and uh, Kyle says, oh, no, this still has to go through the final process. But here, take this one instead. But then the father's looking at it. He's like, what else needs to be done? Because you realize everything's been done to the mask. The only thing that's missing was that pin that said that has the uh, silver shamrock logo on it. But, of course, we later found out that pin is the key to, to what hypnotizes those kids. Once they uh, see the, the flickering lights on the TV at 9 o'clock. Oh. Hypnotizing is not really the right well, word. That's not, not what it's Yeah. So, all right. So, here, because at this point in the movie, the Connell Coughlin is like trying to ease them in. And it isn't until uh, Ellie starts to see that her father's car is in their garage. And the doctor sees uh, a bunch of individuals that look similar to the people that killed her uh, father. Yeah, that the men are wearing the same gray suits. Yes, exactly. So you got that going on, and then that's when they start kidnapping these individuals, and that's when they hold them hostage. And this is where the film gets pretty fucking ridiculous. So this Connell Coughlin guy has Ellie strapped to a table. Why he doesn't just kill her off is beyond me. He just has her strapped to a table. So he brings the doc in and he's like, I want to show you a demonstration of what I'm about to do. Now he's about to reveal the plan that he, it's all part of the plan. Yeah, he reveals the plan that he's about to uh bring upon the world, so to speak, because I think right before the scene, they sewed a bunch of cities of all the kids wearing those masks. Whatever about these masks that are so great, I guess it's that commercial. The power of advertisement. I guess so. Um, so he shows a demonstration. So he locks that family, that salesman, into the room. And the one thing the sales guy said was, I don't understand why he won't take my next year's shipment. Uh, he keeps denying it. I'd like to be a hit. She's like, oh, maybe there's not going to be a Halloween next year. Anyways, so they turn the TV on and that stupid commercial plays. <laughs> and uh, you hear the guy in the background is like, that's right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's nine o'clock. Please put on your mask and watch the pumpkin flashing on your screen. Kid puts on his mask. And you hear that, and it just keeps going and going, and eventually it starts to speed up, and the kid starts holding his head, and somehow this little chip is able to devise bugs coming out, like flies and, and roaches, and then a fucking snake, two of them come out of this kid's face, and the woman faints, and the other snake bites the dude in the leg. I was like, this shit is fucking... Come on. It's ridiculous. I mean, what? I thought that chip was supposed to shoot out a laser and just kill people, not bring... Well, to be fair, that one woman had the one bug coming out of her mouth, so I guess, yeah, that's the case. But it's like, come on. This is fucking ridiculous. So, again, 
to, to this movie's ridiculousness. We get to later where the dog is strapped to the chair and eventually the guy reveals his plan on why he's doing this. Something about like 3,000 years ago in Ireland, uh, it was all about sacrifices and all this stuff. And he wants to bring Halloween back to its original roots. How it was 3,000 years ago, not today with this pussy shit where you just wear masks and collect candy. That's, that's fucking schoolyard bullshit. He wants to see death. And he wants to see death to all those kitties. What an, e what a, what an evil, diabolical plan. And then... He puts a mask on the dock for some reason. Not gonna play the commercial, but just leaves it on his fucking head. Again, could have just killed him right then and there. Yeah, but he could have like, just the commercial right there. He did it for the other family. Yeah, or he could have just put a gun to his head and killed him. But no, he just let him live. Especially since this guy knows how to kill his robots. You would think, uh, maybe we should put a stop to him. And, and, why he, and why does he leave him by himself in the room? Wouldn't he have one of his many robots in there to make sure he doesn't try to escape? Uh, that's why I found this film stupid. It was or like, even why bother? As you mentioned, go back to eight, plan one. Just kill him. Yeah. So he somehow escapes. He's able to break the TV. He cuts the the stuff off. He's going around. Uh, oh, by the way, the doctor that's trying to go through the ashes and can't find anything. She gets killed off later on in the film. Yeah, she found the ashes. Well, there are a lot of car parts in the yeah. box of that robot that blew himself up but they sent a robot there to kill her i guess they knew about that too i, I don't know whatever anyway so he goes around trying to find uh ellie well no first of all, he tries to make a phone call to his wife who was played by the same woman who played annie uh in the original halloween yes because early in the film he had bought his kids masks they were like little plastic masks that used to get little plastic ones that really could break easily and they found he finds out that the mother already bought the masks and it was uh the silver shamrock mask yeah so uh, there's a little subplot there obviously i think that's his ex-wife uh he's yeah, not there for his kids. He, obviously work always comes first and you kind of see why things never worked out yeah so he's telling her yo you gotta get rid of the mask he's like you're just jealous <laughs> Hangs up on him. He finds Ellie. And this is... I, I, I'll get to my gripe here in a second. But he gets Ellie. And now it's time for them to thwart this man's plan. So they sneak around. They're looking around at how they can thwart his plan. So they find... He somehow finds a box of the, the chips. Just sitting there. Just laying around. No reason. <laughs> <laughs> I should also make mentions. So how they're able to make this chip so powerful is that they have this big-ass stone that they chip away at, and they use some of that to put into the chip. That's what causes the chip to be able to shoot out the laser. Okay? Yep. So what he does is he somehow knows how to operate the machinery to play the commercial on all the TV screens. He just pushed random buttons, and those are the right magic buttons. Somehow, and then he climbs up and throws the chips down towards the many robots, and they start going, pew, 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 and whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he, they, he sprinkles the chips all over them, and he just, like, they all shoot, or they, they all get electrified by it. Right, and so then the commercial's still playing, and the big rock that's sitting there is starting to build up and get ready to shoot the laser, and Connell Coughlin just sits there, looks up, applauds them and stands there and allows this freaking rock to kill him. Now, I'll say this. The only reason I'm not totally against this is because he probably thinks, well, my plan's already going to be uh, going forward, so I have nothing left to live for or whatever. Maybe that was his plan. Because at the end of the day, as soon as all the kids start dying, I mean, he, he's already caught at this point because he knows all the kids are going to die and it's, they're all going to lead to this Silver Shamrock shit. So I guess he realized he has nothing left to live for. But I'm like, why are you just standing there allowing this thing to kill you? Maybe my explanation is sufficient enough? Uh, we'll just go with your explanation. I... He realized this thing is, is uh, 9 o'clock shit's going to be happening regardless. It's too late. You know, so 
Nice try. Nice effort. Anyways, laser shoots at him. And he doesn't die in the same way that other people die. He just, like, sits there. He's, like, all lit up. And then he just vanishes. Kind of, like, fades out. Nothing. So Ellie and the doc go into the car. He's like, we got to call somebody. And he starts saying, are you all right? And then come to find out she's a robot. How did they turn her into a robot so fast? Why, was she a robot this whole time? Was she a robot this whole time? And if she was a robot, either the whole time or like if she was a robot this whole time, how was she able to speak? Because these robots apparently don't have the uh, ability of dialogue, at least not many of them. And on top of that, let's just say they just made her into a robot. How, why did she help him thwart the plan and then try to kill him? Or she was a robot the whole time. She had any moment to kill him. She could have killed him when they were in the hotel, when he was driving the car. Any moment they were together alone, she could have no, killed him. But they wait until he's already killed Kyle Coughlin and all the business, the big business building before trying to kill him. Yeah, they, they had the little fight scene. He cuts her arm off, cuts her head off. Uh, ridiculous. Because yeah. it's like, he, he already displayed that if you punch him in the stomach and, and the juice starts spilling out, the robot's done. But yeah, this one in particular can somehow withstand a lot. Well, well I guess, you know, the female, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Now. I gotta take over from here because there was one... I felt this way every time I've seen this scene or every time I talk about this movie. So, he finally gets away. He goes to that same gas station that the one guy went to, the Ellie's father. Same individual that brought him to the hospital. He's up with him. He starts calling the radio or the TV broadcasters and tells them, you gotta turn this commercial off because blah, 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 blah. And a bunch of them start shutting it off. But one channel in particular is still staying. And he's like, uh, Channel 3 is still playing. And keep in mind, while it's playing, there's kids in that store with their masks on, watching that commercial, doing the flashing thing at 9 o'clock. And he's sitting there, and he's like, come on, you got to stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. And as soon as he said stop it, I'm like, I couldn't agree more when it comes to this film. Just stop it please because this film was just too fucking ridiculous for an ending <laughs> i just the, 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 i did not like it then i still don't like it now and it has it, i hate the cop out that people say well it's because it's not a michael myers film you, you wouldn't give it a chance because it's not dude as a standalone film it sucks this standalone film, it's fucking ridiculous. For those who are wondering why this movie is a Halloween movie. Oh, God. Was that originally Carpenter intended the Halloween film series to be an anthology film series. Each film was supposed to be its own story, centered around the theme of Halloween. The first one was about a, um, a, a, patient, a mental patient that escaped from mental institution and goes on a killing spree that being Michael Myers but that first film was so popular the studio wanted a sequel and Carpenter didn't want to do a sequel but he needed money so he's like oh fuck it alright I'll do one so he did it which was Halloween 2 and then after Halloween 2 he went back to his original idea of wanting to do an anthology series with the Halloween thus we got Halloween 3 which is his partner Tommy Lee Wallace uh, wrote it and directed it but and that's the reason it flopped so bad because people went into this film thinking we're going to get more Michael Myers. And they didn't get that. And then the film did terrible. To the point, Carpenter ended up selling the Halloween series to, I think, Mustafa Akkad. So Mr. Akkad basically went, did Halloween 4 and went back to the roots of the original first two. How Michael Myers and Dr. Loomis survived that explosion, that's another story for another time. I don't know. But that's basically why we got Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. Uh, I was going to say, I remember watching the Angry Video Game Nerds video montage on Cinemassacre where he reviewed all the Halloween films. 
And one of the things he, he complained about was that people wouldn't refuse to open their minds to this film. And it's like, well, can you blame him? I can't really blame him because A, it's, you never really advertised Halloween as an anthology series. At least with American Horror Story, that's what it was advertised as, is that every season you're gonna get a new story. It was never advertised that way. It'd be one thing if Halloween 1, you had the Michael Myers story, and then Halloween 2 was a completely different story. And then Halloween 3, you had Season of the Witch. If every movie was just a different fucking story, that'd be one thing. But you've already had two films based on Michael Myers, who was already an iconic character. And now you're trying to do something completely new, out, off the grid, right off the bat. No. And especially since the film wasn't even that good to begin with. Forget that it's not a Michael Myers film. It's not a good film, period. It, there's things that I guess are, are okay. Like I said, the woman's face getting fucked up. That was pretty cool. I just didn't like the, the journey to get to that point where she's picking at the thing. Like, why the fuck is she picking at a chip? I know morbid curiosity gets the better of us, but what, what morbid curiosity would you need to take your hairpin and pick at a chip like that? Well, I think she was curious because there was a chip on a Halloween mask. It's one thing if there was, a, if there was like a chip on like, you know, like an electronic system, whether it be a phone, PlayStation, whatever. But why, you know, why is there a chip on a mask? That's, that's not what I'm disputing. What I'm disputing is why was she so curious that she starts picking at it? Like, it's one thing to see it and be like, hmm, that's really odd. It's another thing to take your hairpin from your hair and start poking at it. Like, even if nothing was to happen, like, why are you poking at a freaking chip? Like, wh what do you think is gonna happen? You're gonna uh, take it apart and just see a bunch of wires? Like, that's what I'm not getting. I just, uh, this film is stupid. It, there was nothing redeemable about it at all. I, I, I figured maybe I would enjoy it a little bit more because like, I'm into hokey and corny shit, but maybe it's because it's the contrarian thinker in me that hears people that say, oh, this film ain't bad, you're just biased because it's not Michael Myers. Like, no, no, this could have been just called The Season of the Witch and it still would have been a pretty bad movie. You can't follow up with this. It was just, it's, there's nothing redeemable about it other than maybe the theme song that's that's pretty iconic. But name me one thing other than the theme song that anybody talks about this film to this day, other than it's a Halloween film. Well, unlike you, I I kind of have a guilty pleasure for this movie. Oh God. Well, I, I let me say I enjoyed it more than you did. I like I like Tom Atkins. I think he's a fun actor. I thought he was fun in this. Um, the story it's ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> a chip shooting out lasers. <laughs> this angry Irish guy who wants to get revenge on children because everyone's a bunch of pussies today. <laughs> and he's going back to the way it used to be 3,000 yeah. years ago in Ireland. Back in my day, we used to have to use uh, sacrifices and kill children. Pepperidge Farm remembers how we used to do things. Yeah. <laughs> you fucking millennials. Yeah, you don't know how it works. You baby boomers make me sick. Yeah, baby boomers. Oh god, this film is so ridiculous. But yeah, with the Halloween name attached to it uh, does hurt it. I think it would have done. It would have been received better as its own film. Um, I think this would have been passable as its own film. It wouldn't have been a classic, but it does have the. But as you mentioned, the most memorable thing about it is the jingle. Yeah, that's all it's got. Other than that, it doesn't really have much going for it. Like, again, I want to know who actually knows anything about this film other than the jingle. Especially if you haven't watched it in a while. Yeah, nah, not much to it. Uh, Tom Atkins makes out with a woman <laughs> almost half his age. <laughs> yeah, 20 years is... His... And he met her that Monday like... same morning. <laughs> Like, literally, he's old enough to be the father. Oh, my God. And it was in within the first 15, 20 minutes of the film that they're already, like, having a look for so... Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, okay. We'll go with that, then. Oh, God. This um, was pretty bad. 
Oh, it's I, I had fun with this movie. This is uh, I remember me and uh, Anthony was even there. We did a top five underrated horror sequels, and this was number one on his list. Wait, Anthony said that Season of the Witch was an underrated sequel. Uh, yes. What fucking drugs was he on when he made that list? <laughs> what fuck? Like, did he? I, I know he's a wrestler and all, and and I don't make light on on concussions and all that. But goddamn, did, did did like something happen in the ring that got him to think, oh, I'm taking a bump, and then all of a sudden, you know what? Halloween three is such an underrated classic because I don't know where the hell he's coming from on that one. I, I don't think he dropped said classic, but he it's he thinks it's an underrated sequel. I, it's just... But and this is one of those films you just gotta look at it on its own as a, as a standalone movie and not just as a sequel but as you mentioned you not look at it from a sequel standpoint you just look at it as its own movie and you still didn't like it yeah well, that's that's fine i guess yeah and and underrated oh god the the fact that all right maybe i i, I overstretched it when i said that he thought it was a classic but listen i know we're all entitled to our own viewpoints but i i have trouble believing anybody can find this film even rate it even in the myths rated it's it it's a film that just doesn't do even the basics right when it comes to character development they just got they just got right to it but uh, i noticed how the androids or the robots whatever when he punched them they had like this yellow blood which i'm assuming they got from alien since that came out just a few years prior sure i guess i mean I- they had like that yellow eggnog type blood. Not only that, it doesn't really explain how he was able to make these robots to begin with. Well, no, they never. And you would, I guess, you would assume when she was tied up on the on that table, that you would, I guess, we like to find. I guess they're operating on her. This must right. have been a very quick operation. Maybe, maybe that wasn't really her. Maybe it was a robotic version of her. Now, if that's the case, where's the real version of her? Well, didn't the factory blow up? Maybe it was still there, dead. I don't know. They've never really explained it. Maybe this guy never had a daughter, but then how to... I mean, let's see. Cochran did say that, you know, my robots are very human-like when they were in the elevator and the one robot sneezed. Yeah, he says they're very human-like, but you barely see any human-like features that would constitute that they're constantly like moving like robots they're staring like robots they're behaving like robots so they're not really like humans i don't know i just one robot sneeze and when that's the case they wouldn't show emotion either and ellie was showing emotion throughout most of the film even when they escaped yeah even right in the midst of when they were escaped i don't why are we even trying to delve into like the logic here? We've already explained that this film is ridiculous. Well, let me just say I like this movie more than you did. Does yeah. it make a lot of sense? Does it make any sense? Not really. I just I just take it for what it is. I took it. I still think it's a fun movie. That, that's just me. Guys, if you want a guilty pleasure, <laughs> you go watch Jason X. Okay. If you're going to go ridiculous, at least go all the fucking way. Jason in space. All right. Not some hokey masks that apparently kill children. All right. That's a to catch a predator's wet dream. All right. I don't give a shit about that. Well, I uh, think that's going to do it for this review. I, I guess. I mean, <laughs> we, we could have done Halloween 4. We could have done Halloween 5. We could have done any of those. No, we choose Halloween 3. But our next Halloween film, we're going to dive into a new Halloween timeline. And that is another film you haven't seen, and that is Halloween's 2018. It's a new take on the franchise. Yeah. Uh, Hold up. So, we had one new take, which was uh, just an anthology. Then we had the Thorn trilogy. Then we had the H2O trilogy. Then we had the Rob Zombie trilogy. This is literally number five of just revising this whole procedure here. Yes. Amazing. Which is titled Halloween. <laughs> <laughs>
Just Halloween. Just Halloween. So Halloween is a sequel to Halloween, but not a remake of Halloween. Mm, and, and keep in mind, the second Halloween never existed either. No. Oh, boy. Am I going to enjoy this or am I going to put it under the same vein as Season of the Witch? Uh, well, we're going to find out on our next episode, which will premiere, which we'll record next week. Wonderful. And I guess I'll watch Halloween Kills that follows. Yeah, and that one's on the cock. The peacock. Yes, I think someone was on some heavy cock doing right in this film. <laughs> well, everyone, that's going to do it for this review. I can't wait to hear uh, Anthony versus the Old Dead's opinion on this review. He's going to love it. For Monoxide, I am Terminator Travis. Happy, happy Halloween, Silver Shamrock. Stop it!